Atolia watched me with close consideration as I spoke. When I finished, there was a moment of polite silence. As she opened her mouth to speak, Jen, who had been silent throughout, sat up and laid his hand across hers. I could hear the Atolians sucking in their breaths. Atolia slipped her hand away, but she sat back in her chair and nodded a deferral to her king. Then, as you well know, Eugenides looked me in the eye as if I were a complete stranger, and said, The simplest way to end a war is to admit you have lost it. The silence after that was not polite. When the silence is less polite than something Sophos would say, you know it's bad. Welcome, royal frenemies! I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief. It's September 6th, 2020, only one month away from R-O-T-T. For real this time. Unless an asteroid hits the Earth before October, which honestly at this point in 2020, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Today's episode, A Conspiracy of Kings, chapters 11 and 12. This book is full of short chapters that we have to tack on to longer chapters. So, in these two chapters, we get overrun by bandits, who steal all of our possessions. Including horses that they had bought the day before, which is just tragic. And then we stay at a flea-bitten inn, steal some peas, get sent to jail, get out of jail... Go to a terrible PowerPoint presentation of death. Started from the bottom, now we're here. <laughs> At least he's back with his goddamn girlfriend. Even during the audience, he thought he might be back in prison. In like 20 minutes, he was saying, you know, I had the sense that Atolia might not feel any more bound by the rules of hospitality than Baron Hanactos. So he thinks, you know, the day could still slide even further south. <laughs> But he's still surprised when Jen behaves the way that he does. Like, he was thinking that the problem is going to be Atolia, and Jen's mm -hmm. my buddy. But yeah. no. Because mm -mm. he hasn't seen Jen in so long. So much has yeah. changed for Jen, and Sophos is just showing up back in the story. Like, hi, can we pick up where we left off? I've and been I'm, building I'm, some walls. <laughs> He says in this chapter that um, he hasn't seen Jen since the end of The Thief, which was two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm actually really surprised he considers Jen this strongly a friend, even after two years of two or three years of no contact, you know? Yeah. I mean, in a world where you can't just pick up the phone, I feel like yeah. a lot of people have relationships where you don't see somebody for a number of years. That would make sense. And they went through something really formative and meaningful together. That's right. It was a quest. <laughs> we know the deal with quest narrative friendships. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bros who quest together. Why is there this little chapter with the bandits? <laughs> what does it add? It's so short, and it feels not really related to anything. Like, does anything... Nothing comes of that. That's not something that, that comes back with a vengeance later, and I'm just forgetting, is it? I don't think so. I think it's more of a just, like, they have to get to the bottom of the barrel, the lowest point, whatever, <laughs> for, like, contrast. I don't know. But you're right that, you know, had they not been attacked by bandits, they still would have gotten to the city 
stayed in a nicer inn, maybe gotten there a few days quicker, and then they still wouldn't have had any way to get to the king. But you know what? Now that I'm saying that, they would have gotten there a few days quicker, so maybe they would have run out of options before hearing the rumors that the king and queen were going to go to the harbor. So maybe it was like a timing thing. You know, if they hadn't had to walk to the city and if they had hold- had horses. Oh, like it actually turned out maybe, better because of the delay? Yeah. Like maybe the Medes with those extra four days or whatever could have caught them. Yeah. Yeah, the, the bandits are the sort of random encounter kind of thing that I'm always suspicious is God interference. Yeah. And there's the coincidence of what saves them is Sophos's quick thinking and also like what they the excuse that they come up with he uses a place name that they had seen recently and that is also somewhere where jen stole the chickens and the thief so it feels like lots of little things are working out again Mm -hmm. yeah that definitely feels you know foreordained (laughs) just a tiny uh tiny detail i noticed in the bandit chapter uh when the bandits are Asking, like, oh, was it this guy by the door? Um, that's him, I piped, is what Sophos narrates. And I just latched onto that verb because piped like Morphos with his pipes. I don't know. Yeah. Also, I'm probably this is reading too much into that. But... Lying. Like, he so successfully yeah. lies. He's really, he's come so far. <laughs> and they steal the peas for the pea shooter, <gasps> which is very, like, I wonder if the god had something to do with all this vegetable theft and we'll never know what happened to that blonde man who they threw under the bus <laughs> unless of course that comes uh, back in crossed. return of the thief which it very well yep. could it could in the bandit scene it says only by a god's will did i remember a crossroads we had passed the day uh-huh. before so i think we're on to something with this <laughs> return of the thief just turns out to be that blonde guy coming back on his revenge <laughs> quest <laughs> Another small detail I thought was interesting was uh, Sophos narrates in the city, the Magus was growing more concerned each day that Mead spies would locate us, two Sinisians in the city behaving oddly. So that kind of just made me think a little bit like how big is this city and how many foreigners foreigners does it have if two of them are definitely going to stick out? Yeah. And it's probably... Specifically Sunnisians because Atolia and Sunnis are at war. So there, there must oh, right. be like far fewer Sunnisians than there might otherwise be. When they get to the city and they're trying to figure out a way to get in contact with a gen, you get a glimpse of what life is like for ordinary people in Atolia. And it's not great. Like, they, there's no way that they can possibly get their foot in the door to talk to Jen unless they bribe someone, which they don't have the money to do. And if they get arrested, they're not going to have a chance to say who they are because uh, anyone who gets arrested is getting pressed into labor on uh, in the Navy. <laughs> That's what it's like in Atolia. This is a, a fantasy story for young readers, but it, it doesn't do the some kings are bad, but the king that we like and we're rooting for is good like they're just they're all bad it's inherently bad (laughs) it's mentioned here that um the king and queen do occasionally receive petitions from commoners every 
like once in a blue moon on special petition days or whatever. Mm. But you have to assume that even then, you know, people are whittled down or, you know, sifted through somehow so that even if commoners do sometimes get through, it can't be that often. Yeah, and they can't get a lot of time. So Sophos shoots peas in Jen's face and he says... A brilliant plan. I know. <laughs> it was a good plan, really. It actually and then It was good. Yeah. He says, he narrates like, yeah, I know my face had changed, but I was more distressed than I can say when he passed by without any sign of recognition. Sophos, this, I think, connects to what we were just talking about, about how Sophos considers Eugenides to be such a, a good and important friend, even though they haven't seen each other in a while. He's certain that Jen will recognize him, even when his own father did not. And he's right. And he's right. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy. <laughs> Although possibly the Magus standing next to him had something to do with it, but maybe not. But also, Eugenides, he sees people. And that's not necessarily, like, a quality... It's, it's not necessarily a power he uses for good. It makes him... The fact that he really sees and listens to and understands people is something that he uses to manipulate people a lot. I like that in this chapter we get another outsider's view on Jen and Atolia's marriage, which obviously we got in King of Atolia a lot. But Sophos narrates in this chapter... The Magus and I had talked for many long hours about this marriage of Eugenides and the Queen of Atolia. The Magus insisted that it was Eugenides' choice and his desire as well, but it was impossible to know whose influence would prevail, and if Jen would grow more like his wife, or his wife more like her king. Which do you think is happening? Both. Both. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows if it's if it's each other's influences specifically, but we've seen Jen getting more ruthless since he became king, and Atolia has had some, you know, vulnerable, emotional moments. <laughs> I am obsessed with the image of Sophos coming into this throne room and Jen is sitting on the throne, and I love the description of the way that he's sitting and the way that he's leaning on his hand and how different he looks from even the way that he looked when Sophos had just seen him. Yeah, it says, In the prison cells he had seemed everything I remembered, so much so that I hadn't even noticed the hook in place of his hand. In the throne room, the differences were hard to miss. And a word that's used to describe him is grandeur. Mm -hmm. And the way that he's dressed. And Sophos wants to laugh when he sees that Jen's boots are the same as they were. The same design. <laughs> As the boots that let him break into houses quietly or whatever from the thief. But now they had gold dusted in their tooled leather patterns. And there's a lovely romantic moment where Sophos says to Helen, to whom he's telling the story, I would have felt better just to have seen you in the crowd. And he wishes that it could have been Edis, who he was coming to for help. I was a little bit surprised he didn't see her. Like, I would have expected as, you know... Maybe the first or second most important there at person there after the Atolias, she would have been, like, right next to them. Yeah, maybe she stayed away on purpose. Maybe they didn't want her distracting him or something. She knows what's up in a way that Sophos does not, walking into this room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She can't help him here. And that must be- yeah. that must suck. Yeah. It's funny to have 
all of this drama about Sophos becoming king and is he going to actually be able to hold on to that with the barons and the guns and everything and it's all in order for Sunus to be lost yeah if we take a step backward Sunus would be lost to the Medes in the other event anyway so it's kind of a Sunus will be changed either way but either Sunus is going to be annihilated or just like less annihilated yeah it's having what victories you can it's another uh there's the theme of consequences again and even when you win mm. you also lose and it's worth pointing out from this chapter too that as soon as Sophos is now here in the palace acknowledged as king he's immediately surrounded by crowds just like Jen mm-hmm. was so Sophos has had his last private moment of his life Probably. Yeah. You know, this this throne room scene takes place in front of hundreds of people. It says it's the combined courts of Edis and Atolia, and then a bunch of ambassadors from the continent and a party of Medes. And, like, that's how Jen and Atolia want to have this conversation. Yeah. Like, they can't have it with them and Sophos in a room, Sophos, Jen's buddy, it can't be like that. It has to be public because it's about the nations. It has to be a show of force for the sake of the nations. We're going to destroy Sunus whether you want us to or not. Yeah, and Jen has and to it's, send It's a not a personal to... thing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. This is a political performance. But even though Sophos is losing and he was always going to lose, he can retain agency in the way that he loses. And that is also meaningful. I feel like is what I take yeah. away from this. And I'm thinking about like, you know, I was I was going to say, you know, Sophos, this is a political move, but Sophos takes this and Jen's distance as a personal insult at first. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't, instead of later coming to realize that it's not personal anymore, he just persists with Jen until he can make them friends again. So not just accepting, you know, we just can't have that type of personal relationship anymore. And he keeps his cool here. We know that he's freaking out, but he says all the right, polite, diplomatic things, and he gets himself out of that room without a disaster. Little could convince me more that I was fit to be king than that moment when I acted like one and didn't tell Atollis something very rude that he could do with his own throne. (laughs) (laughs) Also, he called him a tolis. Oh, yeah. He distances himself into the formal when he is feeling distanced from Jen and angry at him. Because he can see Jen is not approaching him as a friend anymore. And the Atolians suck in their breath when Jen touches his wife's hand. Yeah, which that's cool because <gasps> it could mean all sorts of things, that reaction. Like, it could be like, yeah. oh my god, he touched her. Is she going to be insulted by that? Or just, we never see that? Or it could be, oh my god, what is he gonna say? Because they know that he uh, has some cards up his sleeve now. It's very open to interpretation. Yeah. This is the end of this first section of the book. The first person section. Where Sophos is telling the story of what's happened to him, to Helen. And as... 
structures for a book go odd. And I mean, as far as the switching between first and third person and the perspectives and the lengths of the chapters in these books, it does feel very much like Megan Whalen Turner's style is just that she does whatever the hell she feels like doing whenever she feels like doing it. <laughs> but I think it's worth asking, like, why is there this first person section and then the switch that we're about to get into? Yeah, because you could say, you know, the first person is for the parts that Helen can't see, and the third person is for the parts that Helen can see, but that's not strictly true, because even most of the third person parts, the majority, are ones where Helen's not present. Yeah. You know? So. And why would Helen be the fulcrum anyway? There's a larger discussion there about, like, Helen's role in these stories as an observer, which is kind of what she mostly is. Even though we don't see, like, we're never observing things through her eyes, but she is, like, primarily a witness to events. Like, she gets some narration. Like, in the next paragraph, I think it goes into, you know, she's laughing because she's so relieved to see him safe but doesn't know how to say that. But it's not... It's not much at all. Yeah, it's pretty brief. I mean, I guess, I mean, we just talked about Sophos has had the last really, truly private moments of his life. And maybe that's the point of view switch. Like, he is king for some of the first person section, but he's not like king king. And once he becomes like, I mean, the same is true for Jen. Once he's king... He can't be the eye in the story anymore. But that's still not true for Sophos in the second part of the book, though. Because he goes back to having a first-person oh, narration. Back to your right. Ah, there goes that theory. I, we'll have to keep it in mind as we go through the rest of the perspective shifts, whether they do have, like, thematic or narrative meaning, or if it's just what Megan Wayland Turner felt like doing, which is valid, and I respect it. I do want to figure it out, though. Because it, it really it affects your experience. It's pretty yeah. jarring when it suddenly switches. I feel like it works, but it does... Um, it does kind of make me wonder about, like... You know how the map has that little that little text box on it that says, like, this map was created for Gitta King's daughter by her tutor mm -hmm. for her reference while she's reading the books of the Queen's Thief? That makes it seem as if, in-universe, we have these books of the Queen's Thief, which would be, you know, all five and soon to be six that we already have. But so, this perspective switch, Jen's narrative in The Thief is a narrative that he wrote down totally in first person, so, like, that makes sense that it could be a physical book in their actual library. Okay. Mm -hmm. Queen of Atolia, not so much, not as much, because it's in third person so you can't really see anyone who's like writing it down yeah but so this is kind of a mix of like are we supposed to take this as i don't know as someone wrote this down yeah as someone wrote things down to fill in the gaps between the the third person accounts but they're they're like so you see people's private thoughts it becomes sort of an omniscient mm -hmm. narrator Right. And also, 
it's obviously very clear here that Sophos's first person narration is spoken, it's not written. Yeah. So the only the only I guess like real written books we know exist in universe are gens and camets. So that just gets me wondering about you know, the format of these other stories in universe. I had forgotten how long I mean. the other first person section in this book is. This book is kind of in thirds. I had been thinking yeah. of it as having been brief. And that really puts a wrench in the way I was thinking about it. I hadn't really done much thinking about the books as existing in universe and whether that's something we should think of literally or if there like is another version of the story in universe that maybe includes Jen's account. Mm. Yeah, it's I think the only clue that we have that we you know, should even be thinking about them as a unit in universe is just that little map clue. Mm, yeah, which we know nothing about otherwise. There's so much so we don't questions. know. How can she possibly fit it all into one book? Oh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I really hope she does. I hope she pulled it off. I'm sure she did. You know, I have faith. If anyone can do it, she can. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to be so good. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm oh I'm God. ready to feel lukewarm about it the first time and then love it the second time because that's what's happened to me with the last two. Because it's always surprising. I know it's not going to be like what I think it's going to be like. I think my, my sights are set a little bit too high on something. Yes. You got to get past the That's what? okay. <laughs> Where's A, B, C, D, and yeah. E? But all of my own very specific headcanons won't be played out <laughs> on screen exactly as I want them. That's what fan fiction is for. Speaking of answers, someone wrote in on the Tumblr with an answer to our question of last episode about why do you think that Sophos' mother doesn't know how to read and write? And this is from Cormantic on Tumblr, saying, I think Sophos's mom wasn't highborn, which makes sense as his dad is only a king's bastard, so noblewoman would be off the table. Which I think would make a lot of sense. That's such a good catch. I wasn't even thinking about his dad having been a bastard. Yeah, me neither. Thank you, everyone, for being our brain. <laughs> <laughs> That's chapters 11 and 12. Next time, Jen is a bastard. Soonus is lost, and Sophos is finally reunited with Helen. That's bastard as in jerk. Not bastard like Sophos' father. <laughs> Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. <laughs>
there goes that theory.